Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This Thanksgiving week, a Hill Murray football player's father is grateful his son is okay after coming out of a medically induced coma. The latest on the state's top political stories and U.S. Bank Stadium is hosting hoops. But first... It's been quite a month for Justice Alan Page. First, tragically, the retired state Supreme Court Justice and Pro Football Hall of Famer suffered a great loss last month when his wife and partner, Diane Sims Page, passed away after a battle with breast cancer. The couple set up the Page Education Foundation, and the organization has offered scholarships to students of color for more than three decades. Last week, Page was in Washington, D.C. to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest honor for a civilian. I spoke with Paige about some of the things he's most grateful for this Thanksgiving week and what the Medal of Freedom means to him. It means that the work that I have done over the years, the work that my wife did over the years, has been recognized as having value. That work includes trying to ensure educational opportunity. That work includes trying to ensure equal justice under the law. That work includes trying to lift people up, create hope so that uh, they have a sense of a better future. And uh, it also means a recognition of those people whose shoulders we have been privileged to stand on uh, that have allowed us to do the things that we've done. And Justice, for listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with the foundation, tell me a little bit about what the foundation does and why it's so special and important to you. Well, the Page Education Foundation was started 31 years ago with the goal of encouraging, motivating, and assisting young men and women of color in the pursuit of education beyond high school. And we do that two ways. One, by providing financial assistance. But two, and I think more importantly, We require our grant recipients, we call them page scholars, we require them to work with young children kindergarten through eighth grade as tutors, mentors, and role models so that those young children can see somebody maybe from their neighborhood, maybe from somebody they can relate to, has some shared experience, using education as a tool to better their future. the reality is that we are influenced by those we can reach out and touch. We talk a lot about having athletes as heroes and role models. Well, not many of us are close enough to an athlete to reach out and touch them. But our uh, more than 7,000 paid scholars do that with young children on a daily basis. And so it's pretty important to us to... to um, to be a part of solving some of the problems we see educationally. And we're here at the school that bears your name uh, to have an assembly in your honor. And I can I can tell just in the the few interactions that I saw between you and the staff and the students upstairs, they're they're happy to see you here. You're happy to see them. Describe for me what it feels like to be honored at the school that bears your name. This school is like home for me. Um, and it's like family being a part of this community and having this community be a part of my life is pretty special 
and um, it's a day honoring me. But in the end, uh, it's all about these young young people whose futures are ahead of them. And if what I have done can serve to inspire them to do better, to be better, to work harder, um, then all is good with the world. Very good, Justice Page. Just wanted to ask specifically about the, the ceremony itself, getting the medal from the president. Talk about what you were thinking at that time. Obviously, uh, your children were there. Talk me through that a little bit. What was that like? Well, it was um, very bittersweet because my uh, children and grandchildren were there. Three of the four of my children were there, and all of my grandchildren and Diane's family, members of her family were there, but um, she wasn't, and that's all I could think about. Hi. There seems to be nothing that you do that you are not successful at. (laughs) What's next? Well, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. So it's as yet to be determined? Yet to be determined. Hopefully it's a, a future of continuing to um, do the work that the Page Education Foundation does, uh, talking to young people, encouraging them and motivating them. One of the things I've been, um, well, two of the things I've been talking about lately are uh, injustice whether it be racial injustice, gender injustice, or whatever. The other is character. We are, I don't know how we got here, but we are in this place as a, as a nation where the truth is kind of slipping away from us. We seem to have lost sight of the fact that truth, being honest, being truthful is important and that without truth we can have no trust and without, if we can't trust one another, I don't think we've got anything and I think we have to work towards getting back to figuring out what the facts are and then uh, having a, maybe a robust debate about what to do with those facts. But we can't have a debate about what the facts are and what the truth is. Because once you start doing that, everything else evaporates. Thank you to my guest, Justice Alan Page. What a remarkable life. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. 
We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A Hillmary High School football player is finally home after recovering from a brain bleed and medically induced coma last month. As we think about things we're grateful for on this Thanksgiving holiday, here's my conversation with Zach Zarembinski's father, Dan, who's thankful for so much, including the second chance his son Zach will have to live a long and productive life. Well, it has not been fun, obviously. It's been a very serious accident that Zachary had in a football game over two weeks ago. And he pretty much um, collapsed on the sidelines with uh, some type of head trauma. And um, he was transported to Regions Hospital from the time he collapsed to the operating table was 42 minutes. So it was pretty uh, miraculously how people responded from the team trainer on the sidelines to to the medics to um, getting to the hospital and getting his MRI done and having pretty much surgery all like within 42 minutes. So it's been a pretty um, stressful time for myself and my entire family. And I can't say enough about the thoughts and prayers and the outpouring of the community, high schools, colleges, uh, you name it, they've been offering help through many, many people. And I, I just can't say um, thank you enough to all the people that helped Zachary get to where he was as quickly as he did and for all the prayers and thoughts and all the outpouring of help that we've been getting. So I, I just we're overwhelmed with that. Can you just tell me a little bit about what kind of a kid Zachary is and some of the things that he's interested in? Uh, Zachary's a really smart kid. He loves, we've got a cabin up north. He loves to spend time up there. He likes to hunt. He likes to fish. Um, He worked extremely hard this last year as a football player, and he grew up. He became a man through the summer, through a lot of work, dedication with his coaches, um, Pete Burgess and Mike Morris, and the whole Hill Murray coaching staff and the school really assisted Zachary in not only becoming a better athlete, but a better human being. And Zach has been unbelievable. And through this tragedy, um, Zachary is starting to realize how much of an outpouring of love there's been for him to his recovery, and as we've talked to him and told him pieces of what's going out on the, out out there for him, it's literally brought tears to his eyes, and it's, it's brought tears to all of our eyes. And I just can't say enough thank yous. And Zachary has asked me, how can I thank all these people for everything they've done? And I said, you'll have your chance. I said, you'll 
as you get better, you'll meet these people. I mean, there's been people that have come to us that we don't even, we don't even know. And there's people, close friends. There's friends that I haven't talked to since high school that are calling both me and my wife. It's, it's, it's literally amazing what this accident has done for the community, not only at Hill Murray, but the entire community and the state and even parts of the country. We've had people from Colorado, um, North Carolina. I mean, I, I, they're all, all over setting up prayer groups, praying for Zach, send this email saying we're praying, praying for Zach. The nun sister Linda at Hill Murray has set up prayer group with all the nuns there. I mean, it's, I, I don't want to forget anybody. There's just, there's just so many people that have reached out and have, and have helped. It's just amazing. That's, but Zachary's come a long way, and he's he's really a he's a great kid. He 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 really learned to love the game of football, and he just he loves to play. As a parent, I'll tell you, man, you never want to go down this path, and I hope nobody ever has to. I did ask Zach. I said, Zach, when he came to, we we've had a lot of time to talk, and I said, Zach, I said, did you feel? So with all the people in the community and the state and the country praying for it, did you really, could you feel that? He says, Dad, I felt it. He said, I could feel it when I was, when I was under and sick. He said, it's been a big help for him. So, again, thanks to everybody that's um, offered and contributed to Zach's unbelievable journey here to get better. Thank you to my guest, Dan Zarembinski, for that reminder of what to be thankful for on this Thanksgiving holiday. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Enbridge's controversial Line 3 pipeline upgrade through northern Minnesota is back in the news this week with possible legal challenges looming. MNN's Bill Werner is here with an update. Scott, it was no surprise when the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission this week turned down a request to reconsider its earlier decision granting a certificate of need for the project. The commission also unanimously approved Enbridge's arrangements for insurance to pay for cleanup if there's a spill on the new Line 3 pipeline. That came over the objections of the State Commerce Department. Julia Anderson warned, Enbridge has demonstrated its capacity to have extraordinary losses anywhere on its system that could wipe out all insurance. So the new Line 3 would have none. Enbridge's Christy Bruzvin responded, We have a comprehensive general liability insurance policy that covers pollution. The department continues to throw up these issues, and quite frankly, they're just not founded in the record. PUC member Dan Lipschultz wrangled with the Commerce Department's Anderson over that issue. Don't you think Enbridge has a lot of incentive to negotiate the clearest, most unambiguous language possible since the insurance will cover them in the event of a liability. Chair Lang, Commissioner Lipschultz, no, I don't. Don't. Because it will be expensive to cover damages from crude oil spills. Anderson says Enbridge, in its current financial condition, may be able to pay for any cleanup, but she says there would be concern if that company became insolvent. Opponents blasted the PUC's decision. Winona LaDuc with the group Honor the Earth says Enbridge's oil spill insurance is... Totally inadequate, and, you know, and, and they're saying they're going to go shop around for insurance. Who wants to insure a company with the two biggest pipeline spills in U.S. history? Oh, I'm sorry. 
You know, they may say that they're such a strong company, but they were downgraded in January of this year by Moody's to just above junk bond status. Enbridge is not a fiscally well-founded, you know, well-founded corporation. It's not doing so well, and so this is huge risk for the people in Minnesota. Winona LaDuke with Honor the Earth. Outgoing Governor Mark Dayton is among those not happy with the PUC's decision. Extremely disappointed that the PUC chose to evade the, I think, very legitimate concerns that the Department of Commerce raised with regard to their decision on Enbridge, both their decision to include the condition of the existing Line 3 as part of their conclusion about the the need, which uh, I'm told that is outside of the bounds of what um, they can properly uh, consider as part of the certificate of need. And secondly, that they viewed the certificate need based on Enbridge's providing information about the future demand projections rather than future need projections, which again, I'm told in statute is explicitly required and, and was not done, uh, not asked for or insisted upon by the PC or provided by Enbridge. Well, some sort of appeal or, or legal action That's potentially? Option. That's an option. And again, I, I'm not going to discuss what our options are, but what, we'll, we will be considering all, all, all of the options that are available to us. Governor Mark Dayton, supporters of the Line 3 upgrade see it differently. Nancy Knorr with the group Jobs for Minnesotans. Enbridge has been pretty clear in its position that they have the financial wherewithal to cover their liabilities just as they did in in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and they are prepared to stand behind any um, any environmental incident. Um, I think what I saw was a public utilities commission that often disagreed with the Department of Commerce's position in these four years of this project, and in fact denied reconsideration that the Department of Commerce tried to suggest was appropriate. So all in all, what I observed today from a layperson standpoint was once again a very thoughtful commission having had significant deliberations on the certificate of need, spent a a large amount of time talking about some of the conditions on that certificate, and coming to a mutually agreeable position with the company in the best interests of the citizens of Minnesota. Supporters and opponents, of course, are now lobbying Governor-elect Tim Walls. Nor says she delivered to Walls' transition office hundreds of signed comment cards from supporters. We wanted to be sure the governor-elect and lieutenant governor-elect Flanagan heard from the supporters of this project, heard from local county commissioners, heard from labor, and heard from the business community. But Honor the Earth's Winona LaDuke contends Enbridge's insurance and assets are insufficient to cover cleanup costs of oil spills, and she says to Governor-elect Walls, This is a time to be fiscally prudent for all of us. This is not a time to put us further in debt to a corporation with so much risk. Walls said just before the election he is satisfied with an earlier decision by the Public Utilities Commission to let that project move forward. Also this week, Governor Mark Dayton left Rochester's Mayo Clinic after an unexpected hospital stay of over a month due to complications following back surgery in mid-October. The governor says his lungs have improved considerably after an infection which took hold about a week after that surgery, the cause of which he says doctors cannot pinpoint precisely. Dayton says he doesn't know if any of his lung damage is permanent, but he says most of it is reversible. I certainly noticed 
significant improvement. As I said, I'm able to function now on a routine basis without any additional oxygen coming in. There's controversy about whether the public was fully notified of Dayton's status while he was hospitalized. Some reporters question why the governor's staff was not more proactive in notifying them about his remaining at Mayo longer than expected. Dayton's daily itineraries stated he was in private meetings with commissioners and staff, which presumably were by phone from the hospital. Dayton contends there were ample indications to reporters. Suddenly I'm not doing a press avail once or twice a week, as I have been for seven and a half years. It should have occurred to somebody that that meant something. The governor cites reporters' lack of probing interest because they were consumed, as he says they should have been, with the election and the new administration. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The bounce of the ball, the squeak of the shoe, the swish of the nylon net, all unmistakable sounds of a basketball game. This weekend, those will all be sounds to signal yet another first inside U.S. Bank Stadium. MNN's J.W. Cox spoke with officials at the stadium ahead of their first foray into adding another line to its resume as a multi-purpose stadium. There has been football, there have been concerts and trade shows, even the X Games called U.S. Bank Stadium home, and now... For the first time, hoops will be played inside the People's Stadium. The Gophers, the Tommies, the Bison, the Jackrabbits, plus Oklahoma State, Drake, Northern Iowa, and UW-River Falls all will serve as trailblazers this weekend. People are really, really excited about this uh, first taste of basketball. College basketball fans are going to get to see some great basketball. I think people have been really receptive of this, and I think this is a unique setting, and I think people are really excited about that. Stadium General Manager Patrick Talty says they embrace the challenge of hosting yet another type of event, even one like basketball, which is typically played in much smaller venues. It is basketball inside a football stadium, but we're going to make it feel tight in, in that college setting. So we're putting it, uh, the basketball court's going to be in one end, uh, one of the end zones. And we're going to use the seats on around it, and we're building uh, some temporary seats on the uh, on the field. But this post-Turkey Day round ball invitational featuring a total of four games in two days is about more than just excitement. It will also give Talty and his team a chance at a dress rehearsal for the biggest college hoops event of them all, the 2019 NCAA Men's Final Four coming to Minneapolis in April. We see this as, a, as an opportunity to try out basketball inside U.S. Bank Stadium use the horn and have basketballs flying around and all that kind of stuff is the things that we're we're learning you know have our staff kind of get the feel of basketball the flow of basketball because it's very different 
than a football game, obviously. And it gives us an opportunity to really figure out how basketball would be presented and, and what to expect. Obviously, we'll have a lot more people in the building for Final Four, but, you know, we, we, we do that uh, on a regular basis. So we feel confident about handling uh, um, a lot of people. I think it's just it's a good way for us to get kind of the that athlete experience, you know, and how do we handle the student athletes and make sure that they have a great experience. Talty does, of course, have the success of another rather large sporting event to lean back on. A little get-together the stadium hosted, you might remember it, called Super Bowl 52. You know, one of the things that we took away from the Super Bowl, which is, which I think is always a key learning for the staff, is you have one client that's got uh, in the building for a long, extended period of time, and they're doing an extensive build-out. And that's very different than what we typically have, where a concert comes in, and they build for three days, and then we do the show, and then they, they're gone in 24 hours. You know, it, it's, a, it's a quick, um, you know, quick turn, quick flip. You know, you have to kind of, it's a different, you know, dealing with a client for a longer period of time. You know, we've been having lots of meetings with the NCAA, um, just as we did for the Super Bowl and the NFL coming in. And, and so the, the preparations have been just as detailed, um, just as uh, extensive, um, working very closely with all the partners from the uh, Minnesota Local Organizing Committee to, to uh, the NCAA to, um, you know, the University of Minnesota for the Final Four. Um, is the same process that we went through for the Super Bowl. But, you know, I think Super Bowl 52 definitely prepared the staff, and they are really excited and ready, and we have a high-performing team here. The Final Four will present its own challenge, namely, how do you present basketball on a much smaller playing surface to 70,000 people or more, many of whom will have a skyscraper-level view of the action? We're designed for, for football. You don't have the other layer of figuring out how are you going to get the extra seats in and where's the court go and how do the teams move And because we're designed for football. So that, that's kind of the one layer that's a little different. We've been spending a lot of time on that. Obviously, we've designed an intimate setting where the student-athletes are going to feel like they're not playing in a big cavernous space. Um, you know, we looked at um, how was the shooting experience, and it always is. It's very different uh, shooting in a, in a big stadium um, for folks than it is uh, in an arena. So I'm sure it'll take a little getting used to for the players um, but, you know, we, we looked at that and we looked at, you know, what's behind the, the basket, baskets and, and stuff like that. And we went out and we figured out how we're going to you know, set the court, where are we going to set the seats. We've done testing on our sound system. We've done testing on our, the horns, um, the scoring system. The one thing that's unique for us, you'd ask about lighting, we actually have a system that's been designed for different events. So we already have basketball settings, um, soccer, football, trade shows. We, we have different settings in our lights that were already built into the building when it was built because it was a multi-purpose building. So that was one area where we didn't have to really uh, change that much, but obviously our lighting will be different than it is um, for football. Talty is confident his team will be more than ready come April and even welcomes the challenge presented by hosting the Final Four in a big venue. It it is another uh, notch in the belt of how unique this building is and how flexible we can be. And, and I always like to tell people, we can do events from seven to 70,000. I think it's been the testament. This building has been designed to be flexible, and we're showing that it can be, and it's actually living on that, on that promise. When all is said and done this weekend, there will be less than 135 days until the Final Four, when the memories made at U.S. Bank Stadium may just become part of basketball lore. Scott? Back to you. Thank you, JW. Next year's Final Four is scheduled for April 6th through the 8th. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.